Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of... Woodworking? Yes. I'm Guy <laughs> from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui Huen, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Say hello, Hui. Hello. Hello. And Brian Schmidt. Hello. Hey. <laughs> so this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you guys some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we do have a Patreon account. And right now we have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. I'd also like to say hello to our newest patrons, Bailey Thompson and Matt Byington. Thank you. And we sincerely hope that you will give us your support. And stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops or, in my case, not going on in my own shop. So we're going to get right into it. And Hui, you have the first question. All right. This question is from Liam. And Liam is from Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh. So it's interesting. We get a lot of guys or folks that call uh, that uh, bring in their questions from Brian. Indiana Brian is very famous in town. Everybody oh. knows Brian. Well, there you go. <laughs> Pretty much. Gentleman and guy. And he puts a little smiley face yeah, next to guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening for about a year, and this is still the best woodworking podcast out there. Thank you, Liam. I'd also like to thank Sean for his contributions and welcome Brian to the show. My question is, there are so many woodworking content makers out there today. Who are the woodworkers that you guys follow? Second question, assume you have become retired and now have lots of time on your hands. What woodworking projects would you work on? Would you go into production work and sell your goods, custom furniture, question mark? What would be your ultimate retired woodworking project? I think there are a couple of questions in there, but I, I think we can I think we can get there. So the, so many woodworking content makers, who are the woodworkers that you guys follow? So I'm going to mention two, uh, one of which is Guy. I, I've you know, I know you hadn't made a lot of woodworking stuff as of late, but the stuff that you do have in your archives has always been very beneficial to me. And one of the reasons why I actually got into woodworking is, was because I saw your videos uh, way back when. Thank you. Um, and 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 you you had been doing it for a really really long time before yeah. it became the thing to do, which was kind of interesting um, to see uh, your content way back then. It, it was uh, really and, awful. <laughs> Hey, you know what? You were able to portray a lot, uh, uh, convey a lot of information, even though the audio might not have been the best or the video camera work wasn't the best. It still, it still conveyed the information fine to me. Uh, and the other one is actually, I just found this because I was looking for how to make cove molding on the table saw. Is Wood Magazine actually has a lot of their archival content from when they had uh, woodworking in America? Their lectures are. I mean, they're really good. There's one on cove molding and, and trim molding that I was looking at, and it's an hour and a half long. I mean, the guy goes into great detail about the different types of molding and how to do it. Anyway, that that's those are the two that I've got. Um, Brian, and any content woodworkers that you guys that you kind of look into or or uh, look at? Yeah, and I and I tend to separate it into two categories. I've got a category of woodworkers that I'm entertained by following. And then you've got your category of woodworkers that you learn stuff, whether it's technique or approaches to projects, things like that. Um, 
So from a from an entertainment and not not that you can't learn from those that you're being entertained by, but I'm I'm on you or I I follow a couple of content creators on YouTube. Um, I follow uh, Mark the Wood Whisper. I follow Keith Johnson, KJ Sawdust. Um, I, I like the way he goes about his videos, and I also like cats, so enjoy it when uh, when his cats make a cameo in there. I found that Matt Esley, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, mm-hmm. or maybe I should have used a British accent, but I found that he's some of his older videos have a good mix of um, usefulness in terms of learning how to do certain things, but also really entertaining at the same time. And then, of course, I follow both of you guys on YouTube as well and did so prior to the podcast. So really just the, you know, the fulfillment of a dream here, uh, getting to co-host it now. <laughs> um, well, thank you. What about you, Guy? That's a, it's a hard question. Um. I know you I, don't watch a I, lot of YouTube videos. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos. I, I'm with Brian. There's stuff I get entertained by, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff I find entertainment in is because it's so bad. Um, <laughs> and people that I know that sounds awful, but you know it's. I, I guess. What I'm really entertained by, the, the the people I really enjoy watching, I look for the videos, one of them is Stumpy Nubs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been just, around for a long time as well. Yeah, he's just he's just got a really good style and the way he pre- presents everything. And I, I really like, I look forward to seeing his videos. Um, Mark Spagnolo, and I've met Mark a couple times, and he is very genuine. He, in person, he's just like he is in his videos. And I think he has a good mix of both entertainment and woodworking skills. He's, he's very, very good. And he's mm-hmm. come a long way over the years since he first started out doing yeah. uh, YouTube videos. And his are always very good. Um, another another person I don't see that often doing woodworking videos anymore, but I really enjoyed him when he was doing it was Matthew Morris. Yeah. Um, he's doing building a school right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've known Matthew for, for a very long time too. And he is an exceptional woodworker. I've, I've seen some of his uh, stuff in person and it's perfect. <laughs> it's just perfect. It's, it's, it's very, very, very skilled guy. All right. So let's assume that you guys were retired. You got a lot of time on your hands. What, woodworking projects would you like to do would you do like production work custom work and you know what's what's that project what's that ultimate retirement project uh for me i've always wanted to make a high boy i know that um far from being able to do that not so much well yeah skill but more so the fact that it just would be a huge time commitment and i don't know if i want to sink that much time into it right now you know, when you take on a big project, it, it, it's a big time commitment. But on top of that, you, you don't get those like little wins that you need to kind of build up your boost up your confidence and, you know, feel good about yourself. Right. Um, but I actually always thought that, man, if I ever retired and I had plenty of money and land, I would love to just build a nice standalone shop and maybe have a little woodworking school where I could 
not necessarily teach, but invite folks to come over and have like my own little school where I could learn and invite other folks to come and learn as well. You know, there's all the liability issues and people getting hurt and whatnot. So, but it's a, it's a, it's a dream, right? So uh, there you go. That's what I think I would do if I had plenty of money and plenty of land and plenty of spare time. So how about we'll go backwards this time. How about you, Guy? Uh, I only have one dream for retirement. I want to retire, move to Aruba and drive a cab. <laughs> that's no woodworking at all? That's it. I just want to drive a cab and lay on the beach and have nice. people to bring me margaritas. <laughs> why, why, why drive a cab? I don't know. It looks well. If you've ever been to Aruba, Aruba is a very small uh-huh. island. It, it's like okay. twenty miles at its widest point, mm. and it would. It, it the whole place is run by tourism. If it wasn't mm-hmm. for tourism, it would be nothing. So it would just be fun just to go and just. It's not like I have to learn this big, huge city. All I got to do is drive around for 29 miles. <laughs> yeah, for, for a little bit here, a little bit there, do it part-time, earn some extra cash to keep my wife off my back. And <laughs> I, can spend, so, I can spend that extra money I'm making on suntan oil. So no dream woodworking project? You, nope. You've, nope. <laughs> I just want to go to Aruba and drive a cab. There you go, Liam. Liam, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm sorry that uh, guy didn't give you the kind of answer that you were looking for. But hey, you know what? Hey, it's being honest. How about you, Brian? What do you got, man? I don't think it's I don't think it's a specific project. But if I'm if I'm retired, I'm going to assume that I have enough money and I don't necessarily need to to sell the things that I'm making. So I would probably reach out to family and friends and figure out if there are things that they want that they just want to cover the cost of and. Um, assuming it's something that, that I would enjoy building, I, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd enjoy spending time doing that and being able to give that to them. Uh, you know, one thing my, my dad, he's retired now and he does for all of his godchildren is he build, or I guess the children of his godchildren is he builds little, um, stools for the, for the kids, for the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And he makes them out of highly figured maple. He's made them out of, uh, white oak. He's made all kinds of different designs, and he paints something on the end of them. And it it's a usually a Christmas gift for their first first birthday, or you know their first year, first Christmas. He'll give it to them as a gift, and you know something to to remember him by, and something um, he really enjoys doing. So nice, nice. All right. Well, all right, over to Brian. Brian, you've got the next one. I do have the next question, don't I? Mm-hmm. All right. This question is from Nicholas. Nicholas writes, Hey guys, I just wrote in and submitted a question, but I do have another, which I hope can be answered. I'm building a kitchen table 36 by 60 with a one and a half inch thick top. The table is being made out of rustic riffs on white oak. Question is, what is the best method to ensure the top stays flat? This is in San Diego, California. So weather humidity changes are quite mild. I was thinking maple cleats across the bottom that aren't glued, but are screwed in, allowing for wood movement. Any suggestions would be great. Thanks. Can't wait for the next episode, Nicholas. Um, so on a table that's 36 by 60 and an inch and a half thick, I think no matter what species you build that out of, as long as your wood is well acclimated, I don't think you're going to be at huge risk of that thing going out of flat. I think it is even less of a risk 
given that it's made out of a rift sawn white oak with that rift sawn um, being really, really dimensionally stable. I think the yeah. likelihood of boards cupping and twisting and, and the top going out of flat um, is is minimal. I know it's a, a fairly short answer. Um, and I'll let Guy and we weigh in with some of their thoughts. Um, and maybe maybe we'll come back around. So we? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I 100% agree with you. You've got material here, riffs on white oak. Dimensionally, that's the probably going to be the most stable that you can get. Uh, I, I don't see a need, especially 60 inches. It's not that long. It's really not that wide. I mean, it's a, it's a good size table, but yeah, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be all that concerned now with an inch and a half inch top, man, that is thick. That's really thick for, for a kitchen table, but well, you know, tabletop that size, it's pretty thick. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't worry about maple cleats. I wouldn't worry about C channels or uh, you know the different things that that you know slab furniture makers will will put to stabilize material. I think you're going to be just fine, um, just ensuring that it's properly supported uh, with with the table base. So, guy, what do you think? I, I think I think Brian hit the nail on the head when he was talking mm -hmm. about it, and and the the specificity that, that Nicholas was talking about, which is this is riffs on white Oak, the size and everything else. So for the most part, it, it the, that type of wood is fairly stable and he shouldn't have problems, but let's say he did, wasn't building it out of that. What can you do mm -hmm. to help mitigate uh, warping and cupping on a table? Mm -hmm. And the answer is pretty simple. Nothing. If the table's going to warp, it's going to warp. doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you put steel battens underneath it. Mm -hmm. It's going to bend the steel. I've seen it. It's mm. wood battens don't work. Steel battens just don't work either. They bend just like the, the wood battens. I've seen what Brian knows what I'm talking about because we see the stuff at work all the time. We, we build these big, huge tables that are 8, 10, 12, 14 feet long. Yeah up to 60 inches wide and yeah. if they want to move they're going to move the biggest thing you can do to help mitigate it is control the environment mm -hmm. the biggest problem we have with tables are mostly in schools believe it or not because they put them in mm -hmm. cafeterias and then they open up the doors yeah to to help clear out uh, whatever or let fresh air in and that's where most of the problems happen is in these cafeterias. Yeah. But most of the stuff, we're putting these big, huge, solid tops as conference tables that are just gigantic. And mm -hmm. we get about maybe one in a hundred, Brian. Would you say that's pretty yeah. accurate? One percent? I'd say, I'd say with the inch and a half thick, we've done some one inch tops lately that have, have cupped on us pretty yeah, bad. But that, yeah, yeah. Um, but part of that is because the base base that we initially wanted to put on was more of a pedestal type base that didn't have that that yeah. structure rigidity across to mm -hmm. to yeah. sort of secure that top down yeah. too. Most of the time, you're securing the the top down to a to a, a base with aprons on it, and that helps yeah. quite a bit. Um, yeah. But really, it's it, it's it's the environmental controls. 
that really determines whether or not your your top is going to go wonky on you. Let, let me ask you this: Is it more? Would it be more prevalent? Let's say if you had like really wide boards, and uh-huh. if you minimize the width of those boards. I know it sounds silly to rip, but I know I do that sometimes. If I've got a really wide board, uh, especially with like flat sawn material, I, I tend to try to rip it along that middle section where the flat sawn portion where you get the cathedrals. And, and sometimes does that help at all? I don't know. Cause I've never tried it mm-hmm. to be honest with you. That's one of those okay. things that, that uh, again, I've just never tried mm-hmm. any tables. I stop making tables any larger than six feet mm-hmm. over 20 years ago. Hmm. And they've all been veneer because I had too many problems with tops warping for a small, small shop, you know, one in 10 tops is way too many. Yeah. You know, so, um, I just went to veneer and edged it with solid wood. And that's what I've been doing for a very long time. Smaller than that. Yeah. I do it solid and I just roll the dice. Yeah. So I, I, I hope that, answer some of that question (laughs) all right well guy you've got the next question this question comes to us from chuck chuck lovelady and he asks what are the best responses to people who want you to make them something usually for little or nothing (laughs) most people are clueless regarding the effort and expense it takes to make something nice have a great day chuck so i'm going to throw this to brian first because he's the nicest guy I know. How do you handle it? Yep. Are you not going to answer your own question first? No. I'm going to ask you. You're going to put it over to me? <laughs> yep. Let's say, dear Chuck. <laughs> um, well, handcrafted furniture tends to cost more than the stuff you buy on Wayfair, right? I think we can mm-hmm. all agree on that. Yep. Yep. And I think it's important for the customer to understand why it costs more and mm-hmm. why your handcrafted furniture is better than maybe what those pieces they might get off Wayfair are. But a lot of it come, to me comes down to figuring out what is the customer value, right? Mm-hmm. If they need a table and they really don't care about the fact that yours is made of solid wood and that you know particle board veneered table is every bit as good to them, mm-hmm. um, you're going to have a hard time selling that. So uh, I think some of it's making sure that you've got the right customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you go into, I, I don't tend to get too deep into, into the process and all of the steps because it, it feels like there's not a, I mean, you could do that, but I don't think there's a whole lot of a point to it. I think customers don't really care. They, yeah. they really don't they care. Don't, don't care. Um, and, it e- and it eats up your time. Yeah. 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 So I, for me, I try to figure out what is it that that they value that they value or they're really looking for, or what obstacle are they up against that my furniture is going to help them overcome. And if 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 it isn't there, then I don't take the conversation much further. And I yeah. say, hey, I think you might actually be better off going this route and steer them in a direction that I think would be a better fit for them. I'm going to give you a sales tip. This is something I learned. I used to be I was in sales for a very long time. And this is something I learned a very long time ago. What you're talking about, Brian, is called a, an objection. 
customer is objecting to something you're saying. So what do you do? You cushion it. And I always used the feel, felt, found method. The what? The feel, felt, found method. Feel, felt, found method. Okay. Brian, I know how you feel. I felt that way myself. (laughs) However, what I found was... Mm-hmm. So when people uh, feel just, felt found the feel right? felt my I know how you feel I felt that way myself this is what I found mm-hmm. just a quick it's pretty good oh yeah it's, it's awesome yeah it's awesome yep. it's a nice cushion it is soften the blow soften the blow so we what about you so I I've had you got a- you got you got a long lost cousin that comes up to you and says I want you to make this big huge thing for me. Can I just pay for materials? <laughs> and you build it for me for free? Well, uh, I've not had that happen. I have had a couple of folks who who I know through acquaintances that say, "Hey, you know, I really would like this vanity made and I found it on Wayfair for $1200. Can you build that?" Mm-mm, nope, can't do it. Won't do it. Sorry, <laughs> you should buy you should buy that that vanity from Wayfair. You're much better off. Um, typically, that's the conversation will end there. But for someone that I don't really know, uh, and it's really the first time that I've either interacted with them or gave them a quote of any sort, uh, I will typically give them the quote and say, "Hey, it might be a good idea also to look at a couple of other folks in the area that I know that do similar work." And I, I sort of have a pack with these two other guys. One, one is Luke Johnson of Johnson Co. Another, another gentleman is Anthony Vizzini of uh, Wooden Plane. And, and out of curiosity, every now and then we'll, we'll send each other like, hey, I quoted, you know, I, I was given this uh, task by a client and I quoted them this. What would you have quoted him? And, and about, I'd say 95% of the time, we're within a couple of hundred dollars of each other. So what I t- what I tell the client is, hey, but you know what? Don't just go with me. There are other guys here. Here are two guys that I know that do really great work, and they do very good work. And I say, why don't you get a quote from them? And typically, they'll get quotes from them, and then they never call either of us back. <laughs> but at least that way, it gives that client a little bit of an understanding through sort of passive aggressiveness, sort of. But gives that client a little understanding. It's like, well, that guy is only a couple hundred dollars different from that guy and only a couple hundred dollars different from that guy. And it's like, well, I guess that's what the market is is saying this costs. And I sort of feel like the client is going it, to, it's better if I just sort of give that suggestion to them and they kind of figure out on their own that, oh, that's really how much, you know, labor costs nowadays. So that that's something that I've done. It seemed to have seems to have worked. Yeah. But then again, I'm I'm also not starving for work, right? This is just kind of yeah. a, a side yeah. side hustle yeah. for me, right? Yeah, so. same 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 here. The way, the way I always handled it, you know, especially when you get into the the quote unquote fine furniture and some of the higher priced items, I tell people, you know, listen, you're asking me to give up a month of my life mm-hmm. to make this for you. How much is a month of your time worth? Mm. What's that worth to you? And usually I go, oh, I see. You're asking me to give up a month of my weekends 
mm-hmm. or two weeks straight in the shop or whatever, whatever it is, you know, a hundred hours, 200 hours, you're asking me to mm-hmm. do this. It's, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. I got, I got bills to pay and, you know, people usually re- typically respond to that. If, if you say something like that to them, you know, like what's your time worth and they can relate to it and they go, Oh, Okay. Those are the people you want to do business with, the ones that want to argue with you and say, well, my time is worth – I've had somebody say that to actually. My time is worth more than yours. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to do business with you. (laughs) No, no. And at that point, you just do something to to make them not want to do business with me at that point. Um, Fire the customer. Yeah, Chuck, the other thing I would say is having that discussion up front – Mm-hmm. And, um, not, not, I, I made this mistake early on with working with some friends and it was, I mean, it was for small things and mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't fully agree on a price up front. It was sort of a, well, let's kind of get into the, pr- I mean, and this was for small stuff, um, just like a little like side table or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realizing everything that goes into it and then having to come back and talk about price, that's not a spot you want to find yourself in, especially yeah. if you're not sure that they, they value the time and effort that goes into that. So always, always bring that price discussion up front. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it gives you a good idea of where you can go. And just remember, it's always easier to come down in price than it is to go up on price. So if you're going to give a ballpark estimate, Somebody says, you know, how much is this table is going to cost me? Yeah, it's going to cost you $6 million. And go yeah. down from there. <laughs> go start. No, I'm serious. Start high. Right. Some people might say, okay, you know, how much is and this going to cost? It's going to cost 15000 They go, okay. And that's the end yeah. of the conversation. I've, mm-hmm. I've had it happen. Yep. And people yep. are just, okay. Mm-hmm. Great. And then you can start to to talk about, you know, the design elements and specifically what they want. And at that price, you know, they can basically do whatever you can do, whatever they want. So, yeah. And that situation when they, when they say, okay, I mean, you don't hear back from them or you say, okay. And they want to go further it, in both situations. It's a win because you, you snubbed it really quick or you were able to progress past that price point. Like what you said, Brian, be upfront with it. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that helps you out, Chuck. And uh, I guess we're going to go over to Hui again. Yep. This question is from Mark Bett. And he's got a question about bubbles. So I'm having troubles with bubbles. Both when I'm using epoxy and fast-drying instant glue, Starbond, CA glue. Uh, Any advice on how to avoid them? I'm not doing large pours. This is simply some gap filling and not whole stabilization. With the, st- with the Starbond, the CA glue, I do use their accelerator, but I've done it with and without, and it doesn't seem to make much of a difference with respect to the bubbles. Also, how do you get the glue epoxy down into those small pinholes? So uh, I have done one epoxy pour, which was an epoxy inlay in uh, a conference table. I didn't particularly enjoy it, but it was, you know, it's what the client wanted and and I took it on. Uh, And what I used was a 
torch. Now I have used uh, epoxy on cracks and and like you said here, not and knots and not hole stabilization. And I I've done the same thing where I've used a torch, and it's really uh, the CO two, the 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 carbon dioxide that's uh, moving across the epoxy that's causing those bubbles to pop. And I only know that because I actually called moss epoxies to get an explanation as to why I had to use a torch to get those bubbles out. Now, something that you might try is using some type of sealer in that knot hole or some type of um, like a penetrating epoxy within that knot hole first. And it's a thinner material that will get in there and seal any possibility of uh, oxygen, air, whatnot, coming through the, uh, the grain and the pores in the wood to create those bubbles. By sealing that off, you're less likely to get the bubbles. Now, another reason why you're getting those bubbles is because that epoxy might be thick and you're trapping air between the top surface and the bottom of where that knot or um, that hole is. So, so try those two things. Um, and before I go into the start, uh, the CA glue thing, um, you know, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you, Brian. Any suggestions or any uh, uh, thoughts on on how to uh, deal with bubbles uh, yeah. in the pot? Yeah, I I haven't I, I don't have a ton of experience with this. I've only used Starbond with the accelerator just to mm -hmm. fill little little uh, or stabilize you know knots or fill fill small little uh, spots on a board. And I just go, and I don't know if this is the right way to do it or not, but what I do is I just go light with it and then mm -hmm. cure it and then light with it and cure it and light with it and cure it. And that yeah. seems to have worked okay, whether or not that's technically the right way to do it. I'm not sure, but I've had fairly, fairly good luck with that and really kind of build it, um, build layers over, mm -hmm. over multiple layers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Guy, what about you? I'm I'm not a fan of using CA glue, and mm. if I do use CA glue, this is just my own personal preferences. I I will never ever use the accelerant because it dries and it makes really nasty crusty stuff on the wood. I've used mm. it a couple times. I said there's no. I can wait 15 seconds. Sure. I'm sure. not in that big of a hurry. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, so I don't I don't use. CA glue to fill up even pinholes. I normally use epoxy mm -hmm. and I do what you do. We, I've got a, you know, a, a propane torch that I just fire up and do it yep. at work. We do a lot of filling of, of knots and holes and stuff. And mm -hmm. we have a, we have a map torch that we use to do sure. it. Um, and it works just really well. And it, for the reason you just mentioned before, the the yeah. one thing that you can also do is as another tip: if you're going to put colored epoxy in, mm -hmm. put a light coat of epoxy in the hole or shellac first yes. to seal yes. that up. That way, the the dye that you're using in the epoxy won't bleed into the wood grain. It won't nice, contaminate nice. the rest of the rest of the wood. It stays in nice. it stays in the hole, man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, what about small pinholes and things like that? What do you, how, how do you fill that in? If, if I don't, if you, yeah, <laughs> I don't, it's, I've it's used what, what is it? What is a natural thing? And people yeah. get very obsessed with having this completely, you know, let's say you've got a, you're doing something with, with walnut that has a, 
a rough feel to it because you've got the, the surface grain on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, we've got to put more finish because I can feel that. I need to get rid of that. No, you don't. It's wood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, pinholes, okay. It's a pinhole. Mm-hmm. It's part of the wood. Yeah. Um, I never really concerned myself with that. And so I said, well, this has little holes in it. I said, yeah, because the wood has little holes in it. <laughs> I, I, what, what do you want me to do? You know, fill it with fill it with Two plastic. Picks. Yeah, we yeah. want to fill it with plastic. So you, now you've got plastic in your your natural handmade piece of furniture. No, want, yeah. let's let's it, it's character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I have used a pin to, and this was because of the epoxy inlay. There was there were a few bubbles that I wasn't able to pop, and so they came to the surface, and I just. I filled them in with a little little pin in there and just filled mm-hmm. it up and then sanded it down and called it good. But mm-hmm. all right, I think it's uh, off to you, Brian. Okay, this question is from Jeremy in Los Angeles. Hi, friends. I really enjoy every podcast you guys put out. Thanks to Brian for stepping up to be the third host. He seems to be a natural. Oh, I, yeah. We'll skip that. Um, my <laughs> my question <laughs> is related to tool choice. I am currently planning to build out a router table into the black phenolic extension table for my SawStop PCS-175. That's the SawStop uh, professional cabinet uh, saw or professional. Yeah. yeah, the professional line. That's what you have, isn't um, it? That's what, yeah, I know. That, I was just stepping away to look and see if it actually said what the C and the S stand for. But I have 36-inch cut capacity. I've seen videos on modifying the extension table in dropping in a router lift. It seems like a great shop space saver. Two questions for you. Do you think there's any value in having a standalone router table or is modifying the phenolic table a reasonable approach? I plan to build a custom fence to attach to the saw stop fence. My second question is, how important is it to buy a full-size three and a quarter horse router versus just getting a mid-size two and a quarter horse router? I currently have the Milwaukee battery powered palm router, which is one and a quarter horsepower which has been useful, but I want the accuracy and stability of a router table. The bulk of my work is edging and dados, but I would like the capacity to do raised panel cabinet doors and even to take my router out of the table and eventually build a flattening jig for large slabs. Is two and a quarter horse enough for these tasks? I'm a hobbyist and don't have any production needs for this setup, but don't want to be limited. Accuracy is important, so I'm going to go with a lift rather than buying a router with a base that can be screwed onto a table, like the Triton. One issue is that a lift and r- lift plus router setup for the two and a ho- for the two and a quarter horsepower router is about three hundred and fifty dollars, and for three and a quarter horsepower, I'm looking at eight hundred plus. Thanks in advance for your thoughts. Sincerely, Jeremy in Los Angeles, California. Gosh, okay. a router is that uh, is a three and a quarter horsepower yeah. router that expensive now? I mean, I I Are you think serious? I think I think they're three to four hundred dollars, and then Goodness. to get a suitable lift, you're probably another three to four hundred dollars, or up to five, depending on on how high end. So, yeah, I guess a right. lot of a lot of good questions in here. I'm going to tackle the first one in, is there any value in having a standalone router table versus doing the extension table approach? Um, So you could either, Jeremy, you could either do the actual extension wing, the cast iron extension wing, but I think that what you're talking about is cutting a hole 
in your phenolic top and and dropping it in mm-hmm. that way. Um, I don't. I I mean I think that's every bit as valid of an approach as having a standalone router table. It, it will depend a lot on how much space you have in your shop, mm-hmm. and if you value having you know the another flat work surface like you might get with um, a separate router table. I know I like having that additional flat surface to either set things on, you know, while my table saw is in use. Um, to collect a lot of crap. To... <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a model of clutter in my we workshop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the only thing that I'm not sure about, if you're talking about wanting to do um, raised panel cabinet doors and things like that, you're going to have to bury that bit into the fence a good a good amount. And if you're planning on using your table saw fence and then building an auxiliary fence off of that for your router table, it may take just some creativity to be able to do that in a way that mm. allows for uh, the use of a raised panel bit within the wing of your table saw. Um, those are pretty big diameter bits and yeah. you've got to, you've got to open the gap in the router table fence wide enough to accommodate it. And it has to be that much further away from your actual table saw fence in order for it to, um, you know, not come in contact with it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if that, if you think that's something that's important and you have the space for it, I'd consider doing the standalone router table. Um, I, I tend to, I mean, I like being creative in the shop and all, but I also like buying the right tool for the right job and having, having a, you know, a router table that's already designed to fit a router lift properly and with leveling and not having to modify my phenolic um, extension wing to, to be able to accommodate that is, Mm -hmm. is attractive to me, but I think it, you could, you could do it either way. It's uh, Mm -hmm. gets down a little bit to a matter of personal preference. Mm -hmm. Um, do you guys have anything or we, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or do you want to tackle that next question of what size router should he get? Uh, the only thing I would say is that I do see a benefit in having a standalone router table in the sense that, uh, having access to all four sides of the router table can be a benefit depending on what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I do not. I have a cabinet that's uh, that's built into my the uh, the rails of my uh, table saw, and it, uh, I do have limited access. Now, mind you, also I I do have an Incra uh, Ultra. I think it's called an Incra Ultra. I can't remember Incra Ultra fence, and that's on the right. So again, it, it limits my access on that side. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't have that access there. So I do, I do see a benefit there uh, to having a standalone router table um, with regards to the, the side, I, I go with the three and a quarter. If you're going to do raised panels, I mean, uh, and, and, and don't, don't, don't think about like taking it out and then putting it back in. It's no, it's too much trouble. <laughs> it's too much of a hassle. Um, Guy, what what are your thoughts on the standalone versus uh, inset into a uh, table saw and and uh, router size? Yeah, it's, as far as you know, standalone versus building a table saw. It's it's what Brian said. It's it's all personal preferences. It's what you have room for. Myself, yeah. I use the hell out of my router table, and I always yeah. have. Mm-hmm. So, but I know some people. 
that just don't use their router table. Just don't use router table, period. Everything is handheld. I yeah. use the router table for a lot of stuff. So yeah. I prefer to have it separate. And I actually have a, I built a really nice cabinet. I've got all my stuff stored right there underneath the router table. It's got built dust collection. It's just, it's mm. very nice to have everything in one spot. I don't, if I need to do anything for the router, all the tools are over there. All the bits are over there. Everything is over there. So I can just go to work. Um, as far as the, 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 the motor size, if you're going to be spinning big three and a half inch, you know, panel bits, you have to get the three and a quarter horsepower router. You'll, yeah. you, it's way too much weight for a, a one seven five or a two and a quarter to, to, to spin that bit up to speed. Um, yeah. it'll cause a problem. So you need a bigger, you need a bigger motor. So the, correct me if I'm wrong, Porter cable no longer makes their nope. big, right? So what's, what is a replacement for that? I think, Jeremy? I think a lot of people are going with the Milwaukee now. Okay. The big Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. And the Milwaukee's nice. Um, there, I, I bought one of their big three and a quarter horsepower routers a while ago. I can't remember how many years ago and I needed it for a project. And after I bought it, I determined that I really hated the darn thing. <laughs> so I got rid of it. I didn't like the base on it. Um, yeah. so I got rid of it. And, um, since then, I've never had a need for a router bigger than the, you know, the 175, two horsepower, except for my router table. I've never had to have a big three and a quarter horsepower router in my hands to do anything, mm -hmm. if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the one advantage I would see to, to the table saw wing approach is if you want to do dados or grooves to have the ability to set your fence, you know, 15, 18, 24 inches off your router bit when pushing mm -hmm. those big panels through, yeah. um, where like my router table is 24 by 32 and I can mm -hmm. get, you know, 10 to 12 inches off the bit. Um, but depending on how big of a, you mentioned you wanted to do use it for, for grooves and things like that, that, that might be a, a good reason to, to have it in the table saw, but mm. Mm. just another thing to consider. Sure. It all depends on what you're building and how much room you have. There's a lot of variables. Yeah. And there's no way around it. Everybody's situation is a little bit different um, as far as their environment they're putting it into and also what they're building. So it is nice having all the all your router bits and all the accessories centralized at the router table in in drawers and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you should go to YouTube and check out my video. I'm building. My you've got some guy. You've got some great router table videos. Not just yeah. about the table itself, but you've got a couple projects I think that you built exclusively using the router table, yeah. right? Yeah, techniques and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been a. Uh, uh, I've been using Ankara stuff since the late nineties. I actually had their, their very first router table fence and I've been using one ever since. So I really like their stuff. So that's how I got started using a, 
router tables instead of table saw fence. So I think, do I have, is this you the last the question? Yep. Yeah, you've got the last oh one. Oh my gosh, time. time flies when you're having fun. Okay, mm -hmm. so this is from Jeff Barron, and it says, Hello all, the wood mech here. That's oh, a cool name. Yeah. I just purchased a TS-55 Festival track saw and the 55-inch guide rail for my kitchen remodeling project. I was wondering how accurate joining two tracks together compared to having the longer track. I was thinking about getting the guide rail with the shelf pin spacing holes and using that as the extension for cutting lengthwise on sheets of plywood. What are your thoughts or experiences? Thanks for the great show, Jeff. So, the little bar that Festool sells to join two tracks together is a is a big steaming mess. Don't bother. It doesn't work right. It works for one cut, and then you pick it up and move it, and then it's not straight anymore. Bite the bullet and get a longer fence. The Makita fence will also work with the Festool. But I've heard people, some people, in particular, Sean, who mm -hmm. was the other host of the show, um, he used Makita rails and he had some problems with getting them shipped to his home in one piece. Yeah, he had to pay like, an, to get the big one, he had to pay like a lot of money for shipping or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can go to Woodcraft, I think Rockler Carries Festival again. So mm -hmm. you can go get, and it's the same price. It doesn't matter whether you buy it online or buy it from a store. It's the same price. I've got a right. big, I think, nine foot or a 10 foot rail that I splurged. Yeah. It was like 300 and some dollars. But that was a while ago. They're probably like 8,000 now. So, yeah. um, four hundred and sixty-five dollars, four hundred. So it's gone up almost, wow, almost a hundred percent. Golly, yeah. It, for me, it was worth every penny. Um, as far as the getting the holy rail or the the rail with the guide holes in it, that is not just for shelf pins. That is for making thirty-two millimeter cabinets. Yeah. There is a ton of very, very useful things you can do with that. It, you can use it to set your your hinges, the yep. brackets, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. It's a very, very useful system. I highly recommend having it having a, a 55 inch holy rail. Um, uh, drawer slides you can do. Yeah, drawer slides. Drawer slides. You can do a little bit of everything with it. Um, I did a, a thing on making kitchen cabinets and that's towards the end, towards the middle of it. I talk about the, the, the uh, LR32. LR32 system. Yeah. Probably the best series I've seen on the LR32 is by um, uh, senior moment. Um, we knows him. Big guy. Uh, Sedge. No, not Sedge. No. Big guy? Like big isn't physically big? Yeah, he's a big muscular guy, dark hair, glasses. He doesn't do much on YouTube anymore, but he does a lot on Instagram. I can't think of his name. He did a whole series where he talked about nothing but the LR32. He built now I'm curious. Now I'm curious as to who it yeah, is. Yeah, I can't think of it. Oh, audio. Eric Levinger. Yes. 
Yes, Eric Levinger. Yep. Poplar Shop. Um, Poplar Shop. Yes. I'm sorry, Eric. I I've, <laughs> I I know Eric really well, and I I'm really sorry I forgot his name. It's been a while since I've seen him. Eric Clevenger, the Poplar Shop. He does yeah. a, a really good series of videos on the LR32 system. Um, yep, it's a very good watch. But I said I have a much more condensed version of it on my YouTube thing. Um, mm-hmm. Who else did it? Somebody else has done a LR32. Well, there, there, there is the the festival videos. Yeah. Um, anyway, if, if, if you just do a search, you'll you'll be able to find it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, it's worth buying it. Now, mm-hmm. Brian, you are a new owner of a track saw, correct? Or do you have a track saw yet? I I do. I've got okay. the Dewalt cordless. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> Poor guy. Oh, d- d- is it not good? <laughs> It's fine. It's okay. it's not it's not the festival one though. <laughs> it's, <fine. laughs> it's not the best tool of the ship. Not the sharpest. <laughs> it's not. No. The the thing the only thing the thing I don't like about it is that there are no accessories to go with it. So there wow. are no parallel guides, there's no square, there's nothing. What how yeah. long is the rail? It's fifty five yeah. inches. Have you have you tried using uh, that that rail is unique to dewalt Nothing it's unique would, yeah it's yeah. unique to the plate on the yeah. on the dewalt it's not compatible with the with the makita or the festool or have you ever uh, tried putting of two of those others. rails together no i've only got i've only got one um right. so i've never and i wasn't about to make any further investment in that system so um, what what do you what do you do what do you do for long rips uh i'll take it down to the table saw so I'll rip it or I'll cross cut it with the track saw. That's the only thing I use it for is just Great. cross cutting the size. And then um, I'll bring it down to my table saw, my uh, PCS 175, the saw stop. And then mm-hmm. using an outfeed table, I'll, I'll do a long rip on there. You have that right much on. room in your shop to do eight foot in front of the saw? I don't, I don't, I don't really ever have, I always design things to be, uh, small enough that I can build them in my basement workshop. So uh, sometimes it just takes a little creativity in the design to to build two smaller cabinets that come together to look like one bigger one. Yeah. Um, but no, I try not to try not to bring anything down here longer than six feet because then it gets hard to to get it out of here once it's been assembled. I'm lucky. I just open up my garage door, but it, it must be that. Yeah. Yeah. But but, then, it, but when it's, it's you know, salt in the wound, thank you. But, yeah. when, but when it's 15 degrees out. It's not so easy. Yeah, yeah you oh, don't want to open that I'm, door up. I'm super thankful for my conditioned basement yep. and to be able to be down here comfortably 365. Yeah, nice. No complaints. What about you, Lee? Um, I know you have a track saw. I do. Have you when tried I have, using those rails clipped together? I have. And? And it's not good. No. It's not good. Um, so much so that I just bit the bullet and bought a long one. And, and, ex- and it's exactly what you're talking about, guy, is that you'll, you'll cinch it down and, you know, you got to be careful because the, uh, it, those, those set screws go right into the track, yep. right? And if you go too hard, you're going to bend that, the, the dovetail lip that the two, uh, that the uh, connector goes and, through. And if a mouse farts near it, it'll go yeah, out, it's gonna, it'll go, it'll it, go out, of, it'll be, not be straight anymore. Yeah. yeah. So you gotta you gotta be really careful with it, and you can't tighten it too tight. But you know you can't be too loose, or else then it's just gonna, you know, be too loose, uh, uh, just separate on you. Um, but uh, so I have 
the LR the 55 inch. Mm -hmm. I actually have one that's a little bit longer than that. And then I have 75. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then I have the really long one. Now, you know, I we have a 16 footer at work. You do at work? Really? 16 foot one. I didn't even think they made a 16 foot one. Do they? Oh, yeah. It's it's unbelievable. It almost almost touches the rafters. Yeah, we have a a, a 22 22 foot deck on our our building, and it's almost all the way up to the top of it. Do you, I mean? Do you need two guys to, no. to pick it up because it bend, wouldn't it? Or no, you just, like it, it's you, you just have to be careful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I have. I guess it's a nine footer or a ten footer. What? What? What is it? My, I have I a, mine, mine is nine feet. Yeah, I, th- I think mine is nine foot too. So it's easy. It's you can do an eight foot sheet or whatnot, not easily. Um, but the I haven't tried it all but one time, and it. TSO makes those connectors and they actually, they, they had sent it to me to try out. Um, and they, those seem to work pretty well because I think they are machined to the direct exact dimension or profile of that dovetail way for the connectors. And those seem to work pretty well. Um, but I can't say for sure cause I've only used it a handful of times, uh, cause I had a, a 12 foot conference table that I had to build and I use the tracks on that. So I use the uh, either the 55 or the 75 and the 55 inch or 75 inch along with the nine nine footer. And that seemed to work okay. But see, then again, I, I wasn't moving it a lot. So I don't know for sure. It's like I made the cut and that was it. And I disconnected yeah. it, you know? So, you know, if you're moving around, that might be that might be problematic. Well, it sounds like he's going to do a kitchen remodel job. He's going to be making more than one rip. So yeah, he's going to yeah. be making multiple rips. And I said, you, you, you put that thing together and you pick it up and it, it's not straight anymore. Yeah. See, I chalk it up. It, I'm doing a kitchen remodel, so I'm saving money by doing the labor myself. So maybe I'll go ahead and buy something like that, knowing that it'll become u- very useful in the future. Yeah, too. And, and doing a kitchen remodel is not what let, not what uh, typically men want to do. It's because their wife has asked them to do it. So <laughs> if you're honey, I'll do it, but I got to buy this nine foot rail. That's it right yeah. there, right you there. Know, use that, use that leverage. Whenever it's there, use that leverage to buy <laughs> new stuff. Cause he who has the most toys wins. Yeah. Learn from our experience. Yes. Yes. Says so a guy with like seventy-two drawers in his shop. <laughs> uh, it's it's over eighty. I counted them once. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, and it keeps growing. It keeps growing. I don't like making drawers. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, well, I think that was the last question, wasn't it? And I, I hope that answers some of your questions, Jeff. Um, so, what do you guys got going on in the shop, Brian? I am transitioning back into building projects and I'm going to be building a cookbook stand for my wife. Oh, guy was nice. bust, busting my chops earlier. No, I wasn't. I and said that's a goes, good idea. He goes, he goes, you built this giant workbench and your first project is a cookbook stand. <laughs> what do you need that workbench? <laughs> no, for? I said, I said, make it, make an iPad stand. Yeah. She can put her oh, stuff in, a, in, in recipes in, a, in an iPad put that up. She there. she's got she's my wife is she she's beautiful and very very disciplined and she's been on this 
low carb diet all year while I'm just shoving ice cream in my face. And uh, this, is, this is how I'm going to try to support her is by making the cookbook stand for her for her low carb. <laughs> while you're eating ice cream. Good for her. <laughs> while you're eating ice cream. Good for her. While Good I'm eating her. ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> what about what about you guys? We. Uh, I milled up a whole bunch of material, uh, got it all glued up, got uh, basically the carcass sides and carcass top and bottom for this uh, china cabinet that I'm building. But I also did a little bit of CNC work. I made some templates, chair templates for uh, Anthony Vizzini of Wooden Plane uh, Company here locally. He's he's building a set of chairs and he asked me to make the templates for him. He had sent me the uh, DXF and SketchUp files, and I uh, created tool paths, and yeah, it was e- easy win, easy win by making helping a buddy out and gave him the templates uh, yesterday. So that's all I got going on. How about you, guy? Well, I finally finished my staircase. It gave me it looks good. It gave me fits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That and that was that was it. So I'm, I was in the shop over the weekend. I'm building a new 3D printer. I know it's not woodworking, but uh-huh. um, I'm building it from nuts and bolts. And oh, so, so no kit, nothing? It's kind of a kit, but... Okay. Um, anyways, I don't want to get into that. But I, I'm having fun doing that because I can just okay. stand in one place and not overexert myself Yeah, and do that and drink coffee. Mm, fun well i do it so that's pretty much it so i think that's going to do it for the show and we would also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on itunes it really does help us in the search rankings and of course we appreciate the support and feedback so please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community so if you have work woodworking questions you would like answered you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube or Guy's Woodshop pretty much everywhere. So, Hui, what about you? AlabamaWoodworker.com. You can find all, everything you need uh, going to my website. All right. And so, Brian? the question of the evening is Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Does Brian have a social media link? I thought I, I thought I uh, resolved this one last podcast. Oh, did you? You can find me on Sean's remember. website at simplecove.com. Oh, that's right. Uh, nice. Under the at Brian Schmidt handles. So I'll uh, slowly but surely post projects out there, and uh, that'll be the closest that's, I get to social media. That's hey, right. I, you know I, I forgot. I forgot that, Brian. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. You're not missing out, man. You're not missing out. Nope. <laughs> so, all right. And uh, very good. I will uh, talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Talk to you in a couple. Have a good couple weeks. See you. See you.